I'm okay. okay, ready? Yeah, yeah, ready. Three, two, one. Hey, I'm Cammie. And I'm Lillian. And this is Hyphen Lives, a podcast that explores the rich and diverse experiences of Asian Americans and what it means to exist in between different spaces. off our first episode, we'll be talking to Gary, or GC Beats, which is his artist's name. Gary is a producer and content creator from the UK who makes lo-fi beats in the genres of pop and R&B. He first began uploading his music to YouTube in 2017, and since then has gained over 145,000 subscribers on YouTube and has 31 million views on his videos. I found GC while looking for music to use on our podcast and immediately fell in love with his beats. When we reached out to him to ask if we could use his music, we discovered that he was British Chinese and thought that it might be fun to feature him in an episode on our podcast. In our conversation, we discussed his origins and how he became such a successful producer today. Gary also shares his thoughts about music, family, mental health, and marijuana. So Gary, were you born in the UK? Can you tell us a little bit more about your origins? Well, my parents were both, both of them were born in Hong Kong or, um, my dad was on a, was born on an island just off of Hong Kong, but um, I was born here, so I'm definitely a British-born Chinese. Um, I think I don't know if that the correct term is the first-generation immigrants, but I think that's what my mum and dad are. Gotcha. Why did your parents move from Hong Kong? Was there a particular reason? Was it work, or is it just? Um, well, it was actually my uncle uh, who moved here first, and he started a restaurant biz, and then my dad um, came over and brought my mum over as well to help. And that's how life unfolded in the UK. Can I ask if your parents were college educated or high school educated? They don't have no. any sort of formal education at all. Wow, wow. And they came over to, to work on the, the family um, restaurant business with your uncle? Yes, yeah. Gotcha. So that's all stopped now. So we don't, there's no family business, no restaurant. Everyone's kind of doing their own Have thing. Have they continued the family business for for like since they've come to England so for you know many yeah, years yeah so it's uh, they did it for a couple of decades up until 2010 uh, and then yeah kind of just stopped did you ever help out in the restaurant or did you like try to avoid being stuck in there <laughs> I don't think my mom and dad wanted me to be in that sort of industry but uh, I took a gap year I think in 2011 and I, I did I did work there for a year, um, just doing kind of like the, the wait, waiter type thing. And that was the only experience I've had. So what was, I guess, like, what was your childhood like and how would you describe, like, your education and um, sort of how that perhaps um, led you to your current path in music or maybe not? Well, I, I've, I consider myself, like, growing up, uh, typically as a BBC or just as uh, any kid over here. Um, I was obviously educated here, I made friends here. Uh, I went through primary, high school, uh, sixth form, or as you guys would call it, college and university, all in the same city. So I, d I did everything in Liverpool. Um, but I mean, my childhood was, was pretty normal, I guess. Um, 
you know, I made friends uh, from lots of different cultures, and um, yeah, I think it was pretty easy growing up. Um, as far as the music side side of it goes, I don't think I was. There was no sign of me being musical whatsoever, so I don't know where <laughs> it came from. Uh, my mom keeps telling me, um, you know, when you were young, I don't think she remembered me singing or like playing any instruments or anything. So uh, when it got up to about year year eight, I think I was 12 at the time, just started taking drum lessons. And um, that was when um, music became a hobby for me. And then it just grew and grew year by year. And it turned out to be um, a career as of today. So uh, yeah. that's something kind of special and kind of unheard of for, for, for like an Asian Asian family uh, or yeah. an Asian child, but here I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I also wanted to ask about um, the particular kind of music that you produce, like these sort of um, like very chillax kind of lo-fi beats. Um, and I was wondering how you sort of um developed your own like sort of sound within that like general genre and how you um what what about like that genre interested you or like i guess attracted you in some way um so i mean i, li- I like i like all music in general so i pretty much produce whatever comes to mind and that's how i work i like i do it all spontaneously um so i, do, I wouldn't really say i have a particular style but everyone says, oh, GC, which is my producer name, GC, say, oh, you have, um, you know, your style's like this, and I'm, I don't really see it, but I kind of I kind of just work what's work with what's in my head, um, mm-hmm. work with what I'm inspired by in the moment, and, um, yeah, I just like making music in general, and if they like it, they like it. If not, that's cool. That's awesome that you just stick with your own kind of sense of, what's good and like your own artistic taste yeah. and not try yeah. to like change it for other people. You know, I think a lot of artists struggle with that. Um, I'm curious though, well, what does inspire you? Like, how do you get inspiration? Um, just for music or for, for music anything. or anything, anything artistic, anything in general. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I listened to a lot of music, um, before, before making it and it just I get these kind of ideas and I draw inspiration from like lots of different sources from music that I listen to currently um it could be from like a video game or a film and that that all kind of comes together and like there's this crazy idea in my head that I try and get it out onto you know my laptop and just ends up being kind of like a creation and um luckily uh more people like it than and not so so right. very grateful for that that's awesome and that's really cool that you get inspiration from like films and video games that are not typical like music sources you know like very interdisciplinary yeah. <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm a huge um supporter of arts and creativity right. so um you know as, as well as liking all of that stuff I, I always encourage other people to kind of get into that stuff because it's just i don't know it's fun and it's just good for the soul, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Do you have like a process for how you create your work? Um, like a specific kind of um, like way to make the beats and like a specific software that you kind of, you know, play around with? Yeah, I mean, because 
I use um, a software called FL Studio that a lot of online producers or just producers in general use, but there's a lot of stuff out there. So I've just, over the years, I've just collated this, um, all of my sounds and my sample libraries that I use very often. And um, I guess a lot of people associate them to my sound so they can pretty much quickly re recognize, oh, you know, oh, that's like uh, produced by GC or that's that's got, I can tell that's what's, um, that's been produced by GC because of what he uses. That's cool. Like, I'm curious too, because if anyone wanted to start, um, you know, doing these kind of lo-fi beats themselves, like, how would they go about doing it? Like, I, I have no idea, you know? Like, it's really, like, interesting that you see, like, oh, you can take drum lessons or piano lessons and violin lessons and all that, but I feel like there's very few people who um, know how to start uh, or even where to start with creating lo-fi beats. Or just yeah. even producing, like, producing music. Yeah. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, this just sounds so foreign and difficult. <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, I've always been interested in music and the production side of things. So it wasn't until about 2017. I mean, I started when I was about 12. Right. I've been using for years now, but obviously when, when I did start, it didn't sound very good. <laughs> so uh, fast forward to around 2017. That was when I, um, you know, I seen other people put their work online and you know i seen like oh you know people are making a living from producing music and selling music online just how artists would put you know put their art online and sell it on like etsy or something like that so i was like right. you know i'd probably give this a shot so uh, i uploaded my first few pieces of work in 2017 you know not thinking much about it uh, and slowly it kind of built up mm -hmm. uh into and it turned quickly turned from hobby to like a small business and it kind of snowballed from there. And so every now and then I always get DMs and emails saying, you know, um, how can I get started with producing? And, you know, how can I turn into a business? And basically I just tell them, you know, there's lots of free resources online these days. Um, mm -hmm. For anyone who doesn't have any experience or maybe uh, may, may have experience, it's, it's all the same. There's tutorials on YouTube. Uh, there's Google, there's lots of different resources for you to get started if you want to go into music production. So pretty much anyone can do it. Wow, I love that. And I also like that you just kind of did it. You know, you weren't just like wondering and asking like, how did I do it? How did I do it? You just uploaded it, you know, wasn't thinking too much yeah. about what was going to happen. And like the market told you, like they, they were interested, right? The community responded yeah. and it was like, we want more. So I think that's a very... Um, very cool to see how natural it was and how it does take time um, but as long as yeah. you put it out there and try like like you said use those free resources and try mm. to make it it works hopefully <laughs> for some better than others but hopefully yeah. how did your family respond or like how how have they um do they are they like really supportive of like your work prior to all of this um, up until up until I finished university it was like they were kind of like the, the typical Asian parents so they wanted me to go down the route of uh, maybe like a white collar job you know like dentistry law uh, lawyer uh, accountant and all that all the typical stuff that you would expect any Asian parents to want their child to do um, so but I mean because they've lived in 
uh, the West for so long, they've kind of like absorbed the culture of the West and different ideologies coming from the West. So I guess they're not as they weren't as strict as I expected them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I never re- I never really told them that I wanted to pursue music as a career. It just ended up mm-hmm. happening by chance. Yeah. Um, as I said, from twenty seventeen when I started putting my work online. So before all um bef- before doing music as a career, um I worked in loads of different jobs that are more than I care to remember. And mm. um when the opportunity came around, you know, I told them, you know, uh listen, I'm you know, I'm gonna leave my job. Uh don't kill me, but just <laughs> give me chance, uh give me give me maybe like one year's time to see where this goes and if it blows up, you know, great. If not, you know, I can always fall back on to, um, you know, the normal route. So, yeah. Wow. I love that your parents did trust you for that year. I think it's very difficult to gain our Asian parents' trust, especially mm-hmm. in these, like, new creative endeavors. So you sent us, like, a list of your work experiences, and I'm just going to, like, say them right now because they're so interesting. And I just wonder, like, in each stage... Where was your mind? Like, what were you doing? Like, so first you were educated uh, at a university and you graduated in finance. And then you were a shop assistant, a waiter, which I assume was at your parents' restaurant, um, an Apple store worker, a teacher in Hong Kong, a food delivery boy, a bank training mortgage advisor, and now self-employed. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, <laughs> there's so much <laughs> questions I have for like each stage of your life. <laughs> So what was it like post-graduation, you know? Like, what did you do? Yeah, so post-graduation, I started working in... Well, actually, before that, um, I don't know if I told you, but I went to music college for a year. Oh, no. Yeah, so that was between um, coming out of college and university. So it was... uh, First, there was the year in the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. So I did a diploma in music there. Uh, And then after that was the gap year in 2011. Remember I told you I was working in my uncle's restaurant for a year. Right. So uh, I had some waiter experience there. Then I moved on to um, my university. So I I got my accounting and finance degree. And three okay. years later, um, I started work as, what did I do? I think, yeah, that was right. It was the teaching in Hong Kong. Or was it? No, it was the Apple store first. So during, <laughs> you, during as you can tell, this, I've gone through so much that I can't, I can't even remember what order. Uh, I mean, during university, uh, that was when I started working in Apple part-time. Mm. Um, so that was that was really fun. Um, did that for around two years before deciding, you know, I've had enough of retail right. in, in UK, yeah. you know, I, I really want to go adventurous and try something new. Was, were you like one of the salespeople in Apple? Like kind of the front yeah. end? Oh, that's so cool. I love talking to those people. It's, it's actually more fun being a customer than it is being. <laughs> I, I assume. Uh, <laughs> retrospectively, you can, you can kind of. It's it's like me looking at myself and I'm like, oh, you know what? He looks all cool with this T-shirt and the Apple logo and stuff. But being the guy, it's like, oh, you know what? It's just another retail job kind of thing. Okay. Okay. But it was fun whilst it lasted. 
Um, yeah, so that happened for two years, and then I called it quits. Uh, did some research online and found out there was a role for teaching in Hong Kong. What program was it through? Or was it just like you connected to like a, a school? So it's basically, it was a um, non-profitable organization called Chatteris, uh, set mm-hmm. up in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's basically, um, it's not directly teaching English, but it's um, teaching kids from the age of from the age between 16 and 24 through kind of like uh enrichment activities to encourage them to use english as a language so they can they can develop it as a language and then apply it to their learning in school so that's what i did for around six months so it didn't last very it was very short-lived because i actually left early uh it didn't actually end up being something that i wanted to do or if i'm Frank, if I'm being honest, it wasn't the best experience that I've had. But aside from the work, um, you know, I'm really glad that I went to Hong Kong. Yeah. And, you, know, I've, you know, I met loads of cool people and I actually met one of my best friends today. A really good friend of mine uh, who somehow also knew my cousin. You know what Asians are like? Everyone knows each other, right? Uh, so that happened, um, which was really, really coincidental. Um, Did you meet your f- best friend in teaching, or is it just like from mutual in friends? Teaching. In teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy lives in. He lives in Darlington, which is I don't know. I think it's like two or three hours away from me here in Liverpool, in the UK. But it was uh, basically I met him at the top of a mountain, during. <laughs> yeah, as weird as it sounds, during like the orientation period, mm-hmm. um, for this job. Uh, you know, we were just getting to know each other and we were just like doing activities with colleagues. So we were sat at the back of this bus and then he was like, yeah, you know, you might know some people I know. I'm like, well, what are the chances of that? You, you know, you're just another British born Chinese. And then first name he mentions is uh, this girl, uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Lee. And I'm like, wait, I know, I know someone called Jenny Lee. And I think he shows me a picture of her from Facebook. And I, I was just like, I immediately just go, you know what, that's my cousin. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, man, small world, isn't it? So just typical Asian, knowing Asians kind of thing. Right. So yeah, yeah I still speak to him this day. Um, you know, he came back from Hong Kong as well, and he's living in the same city as I am now, which is kind of cool. But anyway, after Hong Kong, um, <laughs> things kind of died down a bit you know um I, I wasn't really as adventurous and i moved into the role of a, uh, a take a delivery boy yes so that's my cousin's others uh, my other cousin's restaurant and he got me to kind of do deliveries for him because you know i could i can drive and i had a car at the time just came back fresh from hong kong didn't have a job didn't know what to do might as well earn a bit of money on the side mm. did that for around nine months Kind of eye-opening, really, because uh, at that point, uh, I felt like I was having, as most people would at 25, like kind of like a quarter-life crisis. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what's my purpose, kind of? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, So I was, during that time, I was just thinking, just driving, delivering, thinking. Yeah. What am I going to do next? And then... You know, went online, started looking for a couple of jobs and ended up in Barclays Bank doing uh, PPI at this, which is Payment Protection Insurance. 
mm-hmm. for a couple of months before moving on to my last uh, role in employment, which was the trainee mortgage advisor role. During this like last few months, like doing Barclays and bank training, did you work on your like music on the side or was it kind of full time like let me try out this bank training let me try finance and see if i like it and let me not think about you know music or was it kind of trying both at the same time when i was working in the bank that was when i started dabbling around in my music uh, just as a hobby uh, that was even before i i started uploading my work online because um when i started in the bank I actually had ambitions to become a mortgage advisor, as you can tell. Um, so, you know, I actually asked my mum if she could fund, help fund a, a certification that would allow me to be a qualified mortgage advisor. Wow. So there was definitely no plans to be a musician or a producer <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was just working in the bank. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just working... Um, met my current girlfriend in 2017 and then started music as well that's how I remember it's the year I started music was the year I also met my current girlfriend as well <laughs> that's a big year a huge milestone for me yeah like two and one <laughs> that's great yeah, yeah. how did you meet her remember the guy I told you about that I met my friend that I met in Hong Kong yes uh, he was on the phone to her and I, I didn't know who she was at the time and he was like oh you know what uh, bro, do you want to go to a, do you want to go to like a party tonight, or do you want to go clubbing tonight in Manchester, which is like a thirty minute drive from Liverpool? So yeah. that same night, he just hopped in the car, and we just went, and not <laughs> expecting anything. Uh, we parked up outside the club, got out the car, and there she was, uh, the girl and my girlfriend. And then after that, we kept on going back to Manchester, back and forth from Liverpool to Manchester a couple of times. I got to know her a bit better. And then, you know, she became, became good friends and partners today. That's awesome. Does she also love music or do anything related to music? No, she's not musical at all. <laughs> she <laughs> likes to sing karaoke, <laughs> as a lot of Asian girls do. She's not particularly musical. That's interesting. Um, she's quite kind of chill, mm-hmm. which is um, kind of my type, really. Right. <laughs> I feel like your music can fit her. <laughs> you make yeah, music yeah, that's I chill. <laughs> yeah, so... I've, after all of that, um, at this point, I, I still hadn't complete, completed that qualification that I was talking about because I'd actually just quit my job. So I wasn't really motivated to finish it or anything. It was like, you know, I'm going to give, now I'm going to give music a go. You know, I told my mum in December 18, just before Christmas, um, you know, I'm going to quit my job. Give me a year to see how this music thing goes. So I did music for about three months. Uh, then I had quite a sizable catalogue, you know, I got quite a, quite a huge chunk of my work online. And uh, what's good was that I was breaking even with my old salary um, mm-hmm. as a trainee mortgage advisor. So okay. I was just thinking maybe this might just work. So okay. I did it for a couple of months and, you know, music, um, money wasn't a problem. You know, I was breaking even. I could, you know, survive off what I was making, but I still wasn't satisfied and... Uh, around February 2019 I was ready to give up I was like oh you know what we're going back to the bank we're going back to you know the the, the plan B um, so I actually just finished off the qualification I got the qualification and I got qualified as a mortgage advisor 
which then motivated me to go back to music and because I was just like, you know what, I'll put that on the back burner. Went back to music and everything blew up in April. April 2019 was the month that everything blew up for me and my business blew up. Uh, luckily, and thank God, and to everyone else out there as well. Ever since, I've just been doing the same thing up until today. No, that was really, really interesting um, and fascinating. And I th- also think it's a testament to that everything does work out if you um, really pursue your interests. Because, it, I mean, I've been sort of struggling with this, too, of, like, what what am I going to do? Like, I don't want to do, like, a clear-cut path. And most jobs aren't very clear-cut, but nobody tells you that. Um, or people do tell you that, but then they tell you that you can only do, like, four of them. Like, there are only four that are available. Um, but, yeah, I think that was really beautiful. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask if you've ever gone on tour before, if you've like toured locally or if you would like to tour internationally or if you feel like you would want to wait. No, I mean, I've, I wouldn't really consider myself that well-traveled. You know, I've been to a couple of places, but I definitely would like to tour the entire world if I could. Definitely uh, to the States as well, because that's where um, primarily a lot of my activity takes place business-wise. Mm-hmm. But it'll be also cool to just meet up with maybe some of the some of the people whose music I like, mm. get in the studio kind of thing, and just you know knock out a couple of songs and a bit of work mm-hmm. before moving on to like somewhere else like Asia or something. Who do you like to listen to, or who do you find yourself gravitating towards the most? Well, these days I don't really listen to much music. I'm really concerned with making it that I don't have time to listen to it. But um, usually just chill stuff. Sometimes just like instrumental stuff, like, you know, like the lo-fi type of chill beats on YouTube. And that gets mm-hmm. me in more of a kind of relieved stress and pretty much anything I can find my hands on. As long as it's chill, then, you know, that's cool. I'm curious, um, do you ever contact your, like, audience members? Like, you say they DM you sometimes. Like, do you, how do you kind of engage with your um, listeners or do you do you want to like engage with them more how do you stay connected with your your listeners so the majority of my listeners subscribers and supporters do come from youtube but also yeah. from the platform that i use for my business called BeatStars, and i just stay connected by just res- trying to respond to as many you know comments and questions as possible because mm-hmm. um you know, i just say music beca- when music became actually became a business for me i had to treat it like a business so I had to be more personable and more professional. It mm. couldn't just be it couldn't just be like a colloquial, you know, hey, what's up, yo, kind of thing. It had to be like I had to make effort to connect with people um, who supports me, and it should be that way because you know you're making your work, and it's just it's even ama- never mind getting paid for it. It's just amazing that someone has taken the three minutes out of their day to listen to your music and yeah. taken the time to support you. You know what I mean? So um, definitely, it's trying to respond to everyone is is a, is a huge task because I'm on my own but uh, definitely something that I strive to do every day yeah how do you um balance the music side and the business side what I see is like a struggle sometimes the business aspect can um stifle their artistic creativity or that feels like a, a concern to me um as also an aspiring um, artist myself and like how do you balance both especially because you're all you're just doing this by yourself right you don't kind of um have people helping you and do you ever feel like 
it's too hard to handle by yourself and sometimes you can just like export the business side to someone else <laughs> yeah i feel that way right now actually it's funny you mentioned that um because i want to keep this it's unrealistic for me to employ anyone you know because if i did what are the chances of them knowing how to produce and whatever it's just really difficult to just get anyone else involved so i like to keep everything hands-on myself um, but the downside to that as you said is having to do everything yourself and when the business really grew that's when i'm struggling i'm kind of struggling now which is why i disabled my social media for a bit because right. you know there's so much demand and just lots of people just want a lot from you especially right. free things um so i get lots of these same dms every day and it could kind of wreak havoc on your mental health right so i've just disabled that for a bit i said you know guys if you want to get in contact use the contact form on the website you know my email is always the, the way to get in touch with me if i haven't got social media um and then there's also apart from the social media side there's also the business side as you mentioned i need to get uh, on top of my things like finances and stuff so i've just i've had to employ other third parties to get involved like you know accountants and stuff just to make my life a lot easier so i can focus on the creative side of things because if i spend all of my time responding to to people um you know doing spreadsheets and counting counting um doing my accounts and bookkeeping and whatever i'm gonna lose motivation really quick and i'm not going to be able to make any music at all right right trying to outsource some of these tasks to professionals is um what i'm trying to do and so that i can spend more time doing the creative side of things it's hard i'm not gonna lie but you know at the end of the day a business is a business and you just gotta do what you gotta do It's so important to know to set boundaries as an artist or in any profession because like you mentioned there's a lot that can go on in social media that can drain your energy and your time i'm wondering about like your experiences with mental health if you struggled with it how have you come to learn to prioritize prioritize that over maybe more customers or viewers mental health is something that i've definitely struggled with way before music way before even because i first had my episode uh, the first episode of a panic attack or like you know anxiety when i was in uni and ever since then i don't consider myself to be the same person which is which is sad but the reality is mental health does affect a lot of working adults these days so i've had to regulate that I've I've had to look after my mental health on an ongoing basis and just really take the time to be a bit more conscious about my mental health. Mm. Be careful of the type of things that I'm consuming. 
um, right. in terms of in terms of food as well as um, mm. social social media because diet as well as social media you know it all it all ties in and it all it can all affect your mental health so I've learned now to put that you know as a priority and mm. not to take my mental health for granted mm. because I mean I could get a lot deeper on this podcast about mental health and you know what I've been through but in in, a, in some ways I'm kind of glad that I've been through those things because if I hadn't I wouldn't have the character that I do today mm. and um, I definitely wouldn't have the support from my mum and dad that you know that I do today so it's it's definitely something that I urge not even just creators or creatives, everyone else, whether you're, you know, you're, you're working, you're an employee, self-employed, just anyone out there, whether you're a kid in school, is to look after your mental health. I think it's definitely the most important thing because if you're not good, then you're not going to be able to achieve anything. That's mm -hmm. the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you for sharing. And if you are comfortable and want to go deeper, like we love to to hear and because i struggle with mental health i will be honest too i can't completely relate to you but i understand a bit of the you know how anxiety can impact our lives and i'm curious if there are any like triggers or if you noticed um over the past year since uni right um like when if there's been more occurrences of these panic attacks and how does that influence or maybe affect your work or your relationships the first time I had the panic attack, it affected my psyche so bad that it was really, you know, it was, it was just hard to get up in the morning and, you know, function normally. But there was a time where um, I went to someone's house. I think it was my cousin's or something, and like I started smoking weed, which isn't something something that I normally do. You know, I was just young and stupid back then. And that was when it kind of set off this crazy sort of episode. Well, two days later, you know, I said to my mum, you know, I'm not feeling really good. But I was really trying to hold it in. She just looked at me and I was kind of like... And she could tell that I wasn't really in a good way with the way my face was. So she was like, you know what, we better get you to the emergency room. I told told them what was happening and then they got the on-site kind of like um what's it called therapist or whatever he's called and he took me into a room and he was like you know just tell me what's happened i've heard it all so i told him what happened and he was like you know stay you'll be fine just he he knew he knew all about you know me taking um you know drugs or whatever uh, or smoking marijuana and he was like yeah it's com common amongst young people but you know don't be stupid just don't yeah. do it don't you know just don't do it again you know it's not for you you got you know your life your whole life ahead of you and you're it's obvious that you could be predisposed to uh, mental health issues if it affects you so bad because i know for some people for some young people who smoke marijuana uh cannabis they can get you know they can get paranoid right Right. Or it's something about them. If they're, if they're anything like me, you know, their head's racing and, you know, they overthink and they start to get paranoid and it turns into, like, physical symptoms. Uh, for some, sadly, it gets so bad that pff, 
uh, sometimes there's like no way back or you know it affects them uh, further down the line so that's something that I stopped learned to stop completely that that's fine with me I don't because I have friends that you know smoke cannabis and whatever because it gets them going creatively or you know it helps them function I'm not here to judge anyone especially in the music game it's a you know it's definitely very common uh, but that was just something that um, I would always remember and that I'm not really ashamed of speaking about because I, I hope that it can uh, this somehow makes it to uh, another young person who's thinking about doing stuff like this who if they're anything like me is an overthinker or is predisposed to you know mental health Ill illness um, will make them double think yeah it's, you know stay away it's better to stay away from that stuff and not be experiment not be too experimental with your life so that started it off and then ever since then i've had episodes of you know going up and down just um what do they call it postnatal depression um seasonal uh, sad right yeah um just generally feel you know feel feelings of guilt feelings of sadness they all, they come and go uh, but nothing as extreme as what I ex experienced during that period and the couple of months uh, following that. I'm wondering um, that if you, you mentioned that um, it really helped that your, your parents are there to kind of support you and that they know about this, right? And I was, I was curious how that conversation happened because I think a lot of Asian parents, especially the first generation immigrants, um, have a hard time believing that mental health exists or that it's it's a it's an issue but i was curious um how your parents reacted to it and how have they you know supported you since then yeah um the first time it happened they knew something was up you know um they weren't really they'd never seen me in that state before so mm. mental mental illness isn't something that runs widely in our family um so i don't know where it came well i should say i do know where it came from it was me you know being stupid back then but um <laughs> what i can say is that they just did what they could to help me you know they were the months following what happened and the kind of times where i felt really low um they they basically did all they could to help me you know they fixed me up with food you know, they made sure I was eating right, made sure I was, you know, they just kept on checking in on me just to make sure that I was fine and um, that I was in the right headspace. Asian parents, and I'm not trying to generalize, but I, I think the majority who are quite traditional uh, or who have, you know, immigrated from Asia over to, to, to a Western country, they, I'm, I'm not sure they know that sometimes their kids who grew up here could be going through, you know, um, said mental health issues and they could, it, it's very easy for them to just disregard it as some sort of, um, some sort of like mood swing or, you know, something, yeah. something that's not as, 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 um, severe, but I, I don't know. It's not their fault, I guess. Um, cause yeah. thinking about it, no, the majority of British-born and maybe even American-born Asians, their parents have had it, had it a lot harder than we right. do in terms of education, standards of living kind of thing. 
I'm just happy that I made it out yeah. kind of thing. I made it through. Um, I've had that conversation many times, um, with more so with my mum than my mm. dad. Um, to this day, I still don't think she recognises the extent of what I've went through. But I think because she's starting to be educated a little bit more, not just by me, but with other other family members and other friends of friends who have gone through men- mental health she i think she's starting to understand that this could be a, you know something that's that can be quite severe and mm. you know, quite serious so yeah that's beautiful and yeah thank you for sharing i think i'm just glad I, i'm just glad i can find someone to relate to you know what i mean oh Where's yeah it? my parents both initially didn't catch it right they didn't know the signs they didn't mm. think about um, they do the classic oh drink this herbal tea and you'll be all right kind of thing like, no kind of really thing. really like go see acupuncturists but it's um like what you said about like them checking in on you giving you good food you know supporting you whenever they can i mean that honestly goes a long way because I know so many of my friends who struggle with mental health and their parents just deny it like they don't even want to talk about it they don't even want to pay for therapy for their kids right like I'm really glad my parents were able to support that financially and like through years of reading books but also like talking to me I think most importantly is talking to the child to the kid right they were starting Mm -hmm. to understand oh this is how Lillian's mind works this is how she's thinking this is what she struggles with um those mental traps right and not just like what some generic, you know, book tells me. It took many, many years. And like you said, many conversations. Um, but I feel very grateful because now other parents whose kids are struggling with mental health go to my parents to ask for advice. Because like they've kind of gone through it and they like are very aware and cognizant of it. And I think a lot of other parents who are just starting to sort of like admit that like this is... An issue and it could become pretty severe um, need that kind of support from people who are like them who are like you said like first generation Asians from some Asian country right who don't know what it's like to grow up with all the finances or maybe the support and education given to you but still struggle with so many things of uh, that that are more inner and can't be like externally shown like it's not like oh we're you know lacking money or lacking food or lacking um, schooling. It's it's something that's more at the root of who we are. <laughs> like it's like, it's so, it's so hard to describe, but it's also um, like, I think a very common and very um, valid thing to go through that most Asian parents don't re- recognize. Um, but it's really good to hear that your parents, and especially, I guess your mom is um, going through that process and like educating herself and, um, you know, even at the beginning was, was there to support you. I think that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. You see, it's becoming easier for her to, to spot these signs now. Right. Because I've told her so many times and she's become a little bit more educated about it, especially with uh, running this, this business that I have. She can tell that more often than not, I can be stressed. But she can spot it like immediately. So when that happens... <laughs> Yeah, I get that support from her. You know, she's like, you know, immediately she's like, turn your laptop off right now. Come downstairs, you know, have some fruit. And um, 
You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, like, you know, cup of tea's waiting there, a couple of biscuits kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, yeah. I, I really, I really acknowledge it. Wow. I'm really grateful for it. So. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know. yeah. That's so sweet. Aww. Yeah, we really, really have to thank our parents. You know, it's... Especially, I feel like, you know, with this season of holidays, right? Like, it's... Um, it's like a very interesting time where you're spending more time with your family. At least for, mm. for, for us. Um, and... Which could be a good thing and a bad thing, <laughs> you know. Sometimes when you're um, spending too much time with them, you can forget to appreciate um, the things that they have provided you and their love. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like moments like this that really, like what you said, the small, the small things. You know, it's always the small things they do that like really showcase um, their true yeah. care for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking like nine months. We've been together like nine months. I mean, because obviously I'm planning to move out soon. I'm planning to get my own house. But, um, you know, living together nine months because of this pandemic, you know, because of lockdown and everything, I've tested <laughs> everything. <laughs> so it's me, my dad, my mum, and my, and my girlfriend. I've tested everything. But you know what? We've done better than I thought we would. And I'm just thinking if we can get, if we got through this, you know, we can get through anything. I do think, like, sort of responding to both of what you guys were saying, I think, like, there is, like, oftentimes, like, this generational gap between parents and children um, when the parents have just immigrated to, like, a Western country, like you were saying. Um, But I think what's really wonderful about your story is the way in which, despite these differences, like, your family is still able to it seems like you're able to almost develop a closer connection to your family and your mother in particular as a result of going through this um this trial like both individually but also like um within the family as well do you feel like how do you feel like your relationship with your parents has changed now after like sort of going through that experience with with them and also like and like the experience internally as well um so i i actually have this conversation with my mom all the time um Mm -hmm. my dad's always at work so i really haven't had the chance to talk to him about it but i always say to my mom we always talk about the past and like what it was like Mm -hmm. um we just like talk about memory like good memories together uh but uh we always bring up the topic of uh, what it was like for me growing up and what it was like for her to bring me up and um, uh, the reason why we do that is because we we want to we always talk about how it shaped me as a person today and if there's anything I would say it'd be that all of it no matter what I went through the the amount of uh, scolding that I got um <laughs> You know, the amount of times I got hit with a feather duster, as with all uh, Chinese parents, as all Chinese parents do with their kids when they're young. Uh, you know, I'm kind of glad it happened. Or not glad it happened, I'm kind of glad I went through it because uh, she's taught all the values that she's, you know, taught me, I've applied to 
life today and I think it's made our relationship better same with my dad as well whatever hardships or arguments or whatever we've been through and however disrespectful I was to both of them I still think that I owe them something and that they have helped me be the best version that I could possibly be today I, st- I still got I still got so much more to show them and that I want to you know prove to them but I think uh, I wouldn't have it any other way is what I'm trying to say I guess like to sort of maybe like end things on a positive note <laughs> um do you have like a particular memory with your family or your mother whether that's during quarantine or um like before then that like just really like gives you like a warm feeling whenever you think of it and could, would you be willing to share that with us <laughs> yeah sure um it's either when i graduated or when it was my brother's wedding um you know we were all together um after how many years or it was showing her the success that i got from doing this business mm. either one of those i'd say there's definitely there's definitely more positives out there than there are uh, negative experiences so yeah mm. uh, i'd like to i'd like to make those three things known that's yeah. amazing i hope she listens to this yeah, i'll make her listen to it. <laughs> Lives is produced and edited by Lillian Chen and Cami Lee. Our theme music is by Corner Club and GC Beats. We are an independent podcast produced out of but not affiliated with Princeton University. Special thanks to Gary for being on this podcast episode with us. We're really grateful to get to know you today and we hope our listeners enjoyed your story as much as we did. <laughs>